You're listening to the Tooth Sleuth Podcast. Hosted by Greg Essenmacher. Welcome to the Tooth Sleuth Podcast, all about the business of dentistry. I'm Greg Essenmacher, your host, and I'm honored you've chosen to spend time with me as I speak with industry leaders on the dental landscape from their perspective. On today's episode, I'm excited to welcome Dr. Robert Carpenter, Jr. Following graduation from Marist College in 2012 with a BS in biomedical science, Dr. Robert came to the Phoenix area to pursue graduate education at Midwestern University, earning his Doctor of Dental Medicine. He earned several awards during graduation, including the Horace Wells Senior Student Award from the American Society of Dental Anesthesiology in 2017. Interested in anesthesia from the start, Dr. Carpenter went on to earn his moderate parenteral IV sedation certification before entering a general dental private practice. After a year, he decided to pursue anesthesia more permanently and applied for and was approved for residency in dental anesthesiology at St. Barnabas Hospital, CUNY School of Medicine. Dr. Carpenter moved back to the Phoenix area in the summer of 2021 to open his private practice, Midwest Anesthesia Group, a mobile dental anesthesia company. The group's mission is to provide safe and effective anesthesia to patients of all ages using the most modern and advanced anesthesia techniques. Robert takes great pride in his ability to treat patients with special needs and dedicates a large portion of his practice to this. He's a member of the American Dental Society of Anesthesiology, the American Dental Association, St. Thomas the Apostle Church, and was recently married and is honored to have been named a Phoenix Magazine Top Dental Anesthesiologist for 2022. Welcome to the show, Dr. Carpenter. How are you, buddy? Hey, Greg. Thanks so much. I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, first question that comes out of the gate that makes me think uh, of, of questions anytime I talk to doctors is, what first got you interested in dentistry? You know, great question. I think for me, it kind of started um, with my father. He's a oral maxillofacial surgeon, and he worked in private practice industry in New York for 25 years. Um, during that time, as a teenager, um, I, I took over the sterilization room in the office and uh, was an active participant on his staff as a teenager um, and I think his influence kind of led me down the path towards healthcare. Nice. So a lot of teenagers go and work at fast food restaurants and it, it you know it makes the acne like go crazy and you got the experience to be able to work in a dental practice and sterilize instruments and be a part of that. Uh, what an amazing opportunity. So you said that was in New York. So what part of New York? Was that New York City or was that upstate or New York's a big place? So we're from upstate New York, okay. uh, just north of Albany in a town called Saratoga Springs. Um, we're, we're best known for our horse race, horse racing track in Saratoga. Um, I so, was going to yeah, say. I ran, the, <laughs> you know, I ran the sterilization room in the office uh, for roughly three years from my freshman to senior year in high school. I was kind of, that was my summer job. 
Nice. That that had to have been an amazing experience and you probably learned a ton. And so that's where the bug bit you. Got it. So, you know, then then you decided, you know, to go to college and you went to Marist College. And so for the listening audience, you know, tell everybody where Marist College is so they know. Marist College is also in upstate New York, uh, a little closer to the city in the town of Poughkeepsie. Yeah, people know where Poughkeepsie is. If they're if they're baseball fans, they know where Poughkeepsie is, right? <laughs> Isn't there a double A or a triple A squad there? I think there's a triple A. There's a triple A squad there, right? Yeah, I just had to make sure I had my facts straight. I, I knew that there is a a, a a farm squad, a farm league squad there. Excellent, excellent. And so, when you decided to go to school and the biomedical science undergrad, so you you knew at that point that you know, dentistry was going to be your game. Yes. Did you know anesthesia? Anesthesiology was well, really? No. no. Okay. Tell me so about that. I didn't yeah. even know that dentistry. Yeah. I didn't even know that dentistry was going to be my game. I actually originally went to Marist College um, with the major of biology, not biomedical science. And um, in the first two years, thank you. In the first two years of college, those classes for those two majors are very, very similar. I remember a time when I went into my advisor my junior year of college and she said, you know, what do you want to do after you graduate? Now, I was playing Division I lacrosse at Merrick College, so I was focused on my team and trying to play sports and trying to be excellent athletically as well. Um, so the thought of grad school to me at that time wasn't foremost on my mind. Um, upon graduation, um, they kind of said, you know, you're a science major. What do you want to do with your degree? And then I thought to myself at that point, it's, not, it's some sort of graduate school education. So I actually applied for both medical school and dental school following college. And so, and dental school is where you got accepted. So it's interesting, the story, because so for me, 16 years ago, I was at a similar crossroads. So I was looking to get into medical device and dental opportunity came across my plate. I got into dental and I've never looked back. It's one of the best uh, verticals, industries, niche industries that you could possibly be in, you know, in my opinion, I don't ever see myself leaving. Well, I say ever, uh, but for me, it was a, a great opportunity, a great accident, if you will, um, that I feel so blessed that it happened to me. And so for you, it was it one of those as well, where dentistry just kind of happened? Yeah. Yeah. It really was. I just found myself kind of following my own feet down this path that led me to dentistry. Looking back on it, it was not as planned out as um, some of my colleagues. Yeah. And that it and I love that, right? So some people find their passion early on and they're like, you know, they're, they're five years old and I want to be a fireman. And, you know, 30 years later, they're a fireman. And so some of us just kind of like do the next indicated thing and they find themselves and they look back and they're like, wow, that's where I ended up. And, you know, that's I just... That's it was for me. It was, <laughs> yeah. It was graduating with a science degree. What do you want to do? Well, I think I should do medical school. Well, if you want to go to medical school, then you have to go get a master's degree. So then that's what I did right out of college was, uh, came to Arizona, went to Midwestern university for my, uh, master's of arts degree in biomedical science. 
Yeah, and so then, so you're there at Midwestern University, which they have a great dental program. I'm very familiar with the dental program at Midwestern, uh, being a, a Metro Phoenix person myself. And so tell me about what that experience and that transition looks like to where you get to today. So that's a master's program, and that was in, remind the audience again, what that uh, degree was in? So that degree was in biomedical science as well. Both my uh, bachelor's and my master's are both in biomedical science. Um, but I'm going to be honest with you, Greg, that was my most difficult year of my graduate education process with my master's year. So in between college and dental school, I did a one-year master's at Midwestern. Um, and there's an agreement between the master's program and the graduate programs that if you succeed in the master's program above a certain, um, grade point average, they will not guarantee you admission into dental school, but you're, you know, highly, um, you're, you're much higher likelihood of, of being accepted. So that's what I did. I decided to, um, work my butt off that year of the masters, do well enough to be on the top of that list in order to get accepted to, to dental school. Gotcha. And so commitment and dedication gets you, uh, you know, shortlisted, if you will, into the dental school. And then you go to dental school uh, and, you know, Midwestern with a great program uh, over there for dental school. And then it, that's a four year program. Then on top of that. So so yes. let me get this right. So four years of undergrad at Marist College and then five years for your graduate school, four years of graduate school, and and then another four years at dental school. So now we've got twelve years of education, right? No, no. So 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 far we've got four college, one master's, four dental. Oh, right. So it's right got now. the one year program. Okay. Well, that that seems a little more digestible. So that's nine years of schooling. So then you get done, and you're like, okay, now I've got the degree, the the DMD, right? So now I've got the 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 dental degree. And you're okay now. I want a private practice, and you go into private practice. You go to work in a private practice, and that was where I was in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. Surprisingly enough. And what is in Steamboat Springs, Colorado that brought you there? One thing and one thing only: Steamboat Springs ski mount. <laughs> uh, so you went to go ski, I'm and you had to work. <laughs> yeah, I, I uh, decided to find a job in a ski. So I did. Nice. And, and you enjoyed that, I assume. I mean, I, I would think so if your main goal was to ski. And oh, by the way, I should probably work too because I probably have some of these some of these loans to pay off. I did. Uh, and, you know, my journey in Steamboat Springs was, again, it was an interesting one. It wasn't, um, it wasn't completely according to plan. So for me, I graduated from dental school, found the job in Steamboat, moved out there, um, I was six months into private practice and then I applied for my residency at that time because, you know, if you want to get in the following year, you have to have your application in by December. So if you think about the timing, I was only working at this office for four or five months when I decided to apply for anesthesia. Uh, my boss at the time and found out that I was accepted into a the dental anesthesia residency program. And we decided that it was better to part ways after six months as opposed to fulfilling my full year contract um, and then leaving the practice to go to New York City. So I actually only worked in the private practice in Steamboat Springs for six months 
Um, we parted ways and I ended up getting 90 days on snow that year. About 90 days. <laughs> so, so then you got to ski like you wanted to, whenever you wanted to. So it was basically six months of work from July to December. And then January, February, March, I didn't work, just skied every day. And, uh, which, which, you know, got me close to my residency start date. I, I can literally hear my regular listeners or see them shaking their fists at their radio if they're driving or wherever they're listening to this on the treadmills being like, how is this guy getting away with this kind of a story with 90 days on the ski slopes waiting to go into his residency program? Okay, there's probably a little bit of envy coming up. So you, so you at least have to give him like a challenging part of the story now. So, okay, so you get to your residency uh, and that's back in New York, right? Okay, and the Bronx. The Bronx. Okay, the Bronx. Gotcha. And so this is a. Th- how long is the program there? Three year, three year anesthesiology program. Okay, so I mean, I know nothing about an anesthesia residency. So tell me what you're doing, where you're at. Tell us a little bit about that experience. Well, I mean, essentially, you know, the easiest way for me to describe it is we were the only anesthesia residents in the hospital, so we were treated like MD anesthesia residents, essentially. My hospital was a level two trauma center in a uh, uh, part of the Bronx that experienced uh, a lot of violence. Uh, we, you know, I saw every emergency from multiple gunshot wounds to the chest to all the way to COVID. Right? I was in New York City for uh, the start and then for the, for the major uh, COVID spread in New York City. So my hospital went from being this center that did mostly outpatient. Um, we did a lot of orthopedic surgery. We did a fair amount of internal medical surgery. Um, and then turned into just one big giant ICU during COVID. And so what did that do? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but what did that do to your personal life, not that you had much of a personal life, if you're, you know, I have to imagine as a resident anywhere, in a residency anywhere, right. no, yeah. but I mean, even more so during that time when so much was unknown early on, you know, but even, you know, three, six months in, you know, if you're there during that time, it, you know, as you shared and I shared with the listening audience, you moved back to Phoenix in 21. So you were there at least through the balance of 2020 during your residency, correct? When did you finish with your residency? 2021. So I was there from 2018 to 2021. So, so as a second year resident, we saw the start of COVID and then I was there for the whole, um, the explosion when it went crazy and everybody, you know, the rates of patients being hospitalized, being ventilated in the very beginning stages of COVID were so high. Um, you know, I don't know if you remember that time, but, um, that was before we kind of learned how to treat COVID and we were intubating and ventilating a lot of those patients. So being an anesthesia resident, it was my job to not only intubate those patients initially, but then to stabilize them over time as they're on ventilators with medications and with ventilator changes to keep them safe and healthy throughout their prolonged hospital stage. We had patients staying in ICUs for, for months. 
Wow. So to go from, you know, that time when I was just heckling you a little bit and being a little a little mean, you know, and talking about the three months on the slopes in Steamboat Springs and that area to this experience, which, you know, to, I mean, you know, really a first responder front lines during the COVID crisis. And, and let me just express my gratitude because I've met others that, you know, nurses and others, doctors that worked in hospitals or someone like yourself that's a resident, uh, you know, going through residency, learning a craft, a specific skill set during this time frame. I mean, it. The specific skill set that had to do with the disease that was exploding all over the country. You know, there's no, there's no other specialty more closely associated with the airway and with the lungs than, you know, anesthesia and, and pulmonology, but anesthesia especially. Um, you know, we're all about airway, lung function. Um, and so. It was a really steep learning curve. And to answer your question, my personal life certainly did change. Um, our, our call schedule changed. We went from having calls every third day to every other day. And it went from a uh, call going from 11. It went from, you know, we were there from 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. on, on call days. And then, and then, and then the 24 hour calls. So we were actually there from 6 a.m. to 6 a.m. Um, and then, then they didn't let you go home. You had to, you know, start your, your shift the next day. So there were some long, some long days, some long hours. I was putting in some hours. Wow. wow. That's, that's just an incredible story to hear that. And, and again, I, I just want to express my gratitude because I, life-changing for an individual to experience that, but all of the individuals that you helped through that time, you know, early on when it was, you know, triage just in the very beginning. And then even as you progress through your residency into year three, when there were some treatment protocols that were put in place that, you know, I have to imagine the amount of lives that were saved, um, you know, on your part and all of the team that you were working with. I mean, what a blessing and a gift that you've been uh, to others. Thank you for sharing that. So let me fast forward in, in the sake of time, because we, we, you know, if it were a two hour podcast, nobody would be listening. <laughs> and uh, so talk to me then. So you finished with your residency, you moved back to the Phoenix area where, where you're from, uh, you know, uh, it, well, I think you're from no. What brings you back to Phoenix? I, I just made an assumption there. So tell me what brings you back to Phoenix well, in 21. Back to Phoenix, yeah, that was just the the business connections that I was able to make during dental school. Okay. Um, meeting the multitude of specialists and just general dentists from Midwestern University, kind of, um, at least in my in my head, um, afforded me the referral base that's necessary to run. A, an anesthesia company because I'm, you know, I'm a hundred percent referral. I don't um, see my own patients per se. I see other patients on the day of the visit for their anesthesia. Um, and then those patients follow up with their dental office. You know, I, I don't, I don't attract them nor do I keep them around. So in order for me to, um, open a new anesthesia company, I needed to be somewhere where I knew enough dentists to refer me business. 
Yeah. And so that makes a ton of sense. And, you know, especially the community at Midwest University, you know, learning that, you know, a lot of the uh, alumni do stay in the Metro Phoenix area and getting to know, uh, you know, that close knit network. And and I know many of them too. And and that's fantastic. So share with the listening audience and myself, because I'm, I'm learning as well. So Tell me about some of the differences between that, that you know, and put it in as, as simple terms as possible, the difference between dental anesthesia and, say, a general anesthesiologist. So if, you know, dentists that are doing, you know, have a need for an anesthesiologist in their practice, you know, what I'd say in clinic, and that just means in their own private practice, you know, the differentiation between what you do, uh, having the, the experience, knowledge, degrees that you do, uh, compared to just bringing in a traditional anesthesiologist. Tell us about the differentiation between the two, because I think that could be helpful for the audience. Well, I think in terms of the capabilities of myself versus an MD anesthesiologist, we're, we're, we're quite similar. Um, I do general anesthesia the majority of the time. Um, the definition of general anesthesia being the need to instrument the airway. So a lot of the times what we do in the dental office is we nasally intubate patients, put the breathing tube from their nose down into their lungs um, in order to facilitate breathing throughout for our dental procedure, whatever the case may be. Um, the difference between myself and MD anesthesiologist is that I know exactly what's happening in the mouth. You know, I can follow along with the oral surgeons in terms of their surgical techniques and if any issues arise, I understand exactly what's happening in the mouth because, you know, I, I did a four-year degree for dentistry, so I understand the, the dental surgery. Um, but that being said, you know, my training was alongside MD anesthesia residents and I have MD anesthesia colleagues, um, who do this mobile type business and very similar, very similar. We, you know, we all carry around all the emergency equipment that we need, um, and go office to office and provide, um, provide anesthesia. So I provide moderate, deep and general anesthesia. Patients of all ages. Like today, for example, we did uh, a general anesthesia this morning with a nasal intubation, and then we just got done with a deep sedation, um, which didn't have a nasally intubated patient. We just had a nasal trumpet that sits in the back of the oral pharynx, and um, we provided deep sedation to keep her throughout the procedure, but without the use of the breathing tube. So basically, we tailor, we tailor our anesthetic to the patient, to the procedure. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. And and having the familiarity with your dental degree of, of understanding the procedure that's happening to be, you know, collaborative with the, the clinician that's performing the procedure uh, that has the need uh, for your services. That that makes a, a lot of sense. You know, so tell the listening audience a little bit about one of the challenges that you face starting up your own business since it just happened in the last year or so. So what, what's one of the challenges that you faced and how you've been able to overcome that? Because a lot of my listening audience are individuals who are thinking about starting their own business or, you know, dentists obviously being business professionals, but also those that are in the industry that are in the manufacturing industry or manufacturing reps or consultants. And, and I think sharing that could be helpful for, for our audience to hear. Absolutely. So, um, I think you know, one of the biggest challenges for me was um, establishing relationships with 
vendors and with medical sales leaders. When I first got started, I was working with one company specifically, you know, without, without using any names. Um, my overhead was really high initially. You know, I was buying products from a manufacturer um, that was overcharging a little bit. Um, I don't know if they were necessarily taking advantage of the fact that I was a new doc or that's just that that's just the price point. But one of the challenges that I found was to really manage my overhead. Um, so that took me a good six months and it ended up being what it ended up happening was it, I now have a combination of vendors and medical sales teams that I buy different products from based on costs, you know, but I want, you know, I'm all about having excellent quality. So I won't sacrifice quality for cost, but it, it was something that um, really took me a long time to do when I noticed that when I finally got that under control and I felt like I'm getting the, the top quality for the for a reasonable amount, I, I, I saw my business really change um, in, in the profits that I was able to make and the amount of uh, money that I was able to redistribute throughout the company. Yeah. And I think that's a great lesson too. You know, it, it's in the beginning, the one-stop shop, it's I need these list of items and you don't really have the time because you're working on building and establishing relationships and starting to get business. And and then as you kind of progress your way through, I know I was just speaking with somebody, you know, fairly recently and we were talking about that as they're starting their business and they're in the process of getting all the things needed for and just being able to share and reach out to the network of people that they've met. And it's they were going to one resource for all of the stuff that they needed. And we were talking about that. And, and in this instance, it was a lot of the the material stuff. So it was website and business card and you know promo materials and those types of things and as others there was a group of us that were chiming in and you know accounting services and things of that nature as we were all adding into it you could just see i mean i like envisioned like the dollar savings being put back into the pocket of this individual who is starting up it doesn't matter if it's a startup and you don't you know you can put those costs over three to five years it's still money that's coming out of your pocket eventually so i appreciate you sharing that and being a little vulnerable about that yeah yeah and you know you just i just didn't know what i didn't know i didn't know that yeah i could get this call like a specific item from a different company at half the cost for the same thing yeah and it was just it took me a while to learn that and to um to be able to find those other vendors and provide uh you know companies that would yeah, which takes time though too. And in the beginning, right? You know, it, it's time, talent, and treasure—the three things, right? And at the beginning, time is a very valuable thing. So you, you know, sometimes you have to sacrifice that. Well, this is the part of the podcast, Doctor Carpenter, when we play. What the sleuth is going on? So it's three rapid-fire questions. The first impression that comes to your mind. Are you ready to play? All right, I'm ready. Question number one: What's the worst bad breath? you've ever encountered oh man that that's a hard question to answer i mean ones that'll just make you back right off you know take three steps back and put on a mask (laughs) (laughs) so bad that you can't even stand you can't even stand to be in the same vicinity (laughs) 
if, if you all could see what I see, there was a little, just a single eyebrow raise as he was answering that question. It said, uh, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words. That was a good one. Question number two. Yeah. What do you mean? You know, what do you want me to do? What's scale one to 10? Yeah. <laughs> we could have a rating scale. We may need to change. change. I'm looking at Ted, my producer. We may need to change that question. We'll have a rating scale. Okay. Question number two. If you could change one thing about your smile, what would it be? You know, Greg, I had braces when I was a kid. And instead of wearing the retainers, as I was instructed to do, I threw them away right away. And so my bottom canines have tipped forward and uh, medially, you know, towards the midline. And if I could change one thing about it, I'd straighten my canines back up. So let just so my listening audience knows, Robert is compliant in business, but he's not compliant in his personal life. I wonder if his wife's aware of this when she listens to this episode. Sorry, had to call you out on that one. Question number three. If you could go back and be the inventor of any dental product, which one would you choose and why? That's a great question. I never thought about that before. You know, one of my favorite products that I think is changing the way that dentistry is able to be done is the isovac, isodry And I personally, as an anesthesia provider who is scared of water and blood going back into the airway, I love isodrives. I think that they've changed dentistry, and I think that they're going to continue to allow us to provide anesthesia to patients safely without the use of a breathing tube, whereas... Um, before the invention of this device that can suction and keep you open, you know, that water just had nowhere to go other than the, the back of the throat. Now it gets sucked up, and I think that's awesome. Fantastic. Yeah, a great product. I am very familiar with it. Well, Dr. Carpenter, in the last minute that we have before we close the podcast, tell everybody how they can find you if they have need of your services, because I've seen you in action and you are a fantastic provider as a dental anesthesiologist. Thanks a lot, Greg. I really appreciate that. My website is um, MWAAZ, stands for Midwest Anesthesia Arizona.com. That's the way to find me, MWAAZ.com. MWAAZ.com. And I'll make sure that that's in when we post the podcast on all the platforms. Dr. Carpenter. Robert, friend of mine. Thank you so much for being on the program. Really appreciate it. It's been a great half hour spending time with you, and I wish you nothing but the best of luck in your adventures. Thank you so much. Thank you as well, Greg. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate your time. Thank you for listening to the Tooth Sleuth Podcast, sponsored by GNA Consult. If you are a dentist or dental professional looking to maximize your inner potential, feel free to reach out to the show at greg.essenmacher at gmail.com. We help folks from vision to execution, creating business strategies that work. Signing off for now, I'm Greg Essenmacher. I thank you for your time and the pleasure of your company. And remember to keep smiling. This podcast was produced by T-Door Productions. Theme song written by The Whole Other.